Good morning, church. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to turn to your neighbor. I'm going to give you instructions. I'm going to say, ready, set, go. I want you to turn to your neighbors all around you and declare the same thing we declared last week. He is risen. Are you ready? Ready, set, go. There you go. Oh, wow. That was slow ago. That's all right. He is still risen, and that changes everything. Can I get an amen from the audience this morning? That changes everything. Well, this past week, you may or may not have gotten an email from me. Um, there was an email that went out to a lot of church members. How many of you got one of those emails? Quite a few of you, all right? That means you have a bank account, apparently. Uh, big scam. They have a tendency to hit churches these days. They'll go mine the pastor's email or, or try to figure out names, and then they'll solicit church members and claim that they're me, and I'm in desperate need. I have a discreet situation I need your help with. Uh, no longer can you inherit money from over in Great Britain or Africa. Now it's the scam from the preacher. And uh, they figure preachers are always asking for money, so it looks more real. So they were asking you to contribute gift cards and things for me. And man, God bless you for loving on your pastor. I didn't get the gift cards, but I know many of you were concerned and were wanting to help. We want you to know that was a scam for sure. Now, you should have had a clue. Always go look at the original email address. That'll be your first clue. Second clue is, if I wasn't asking for Bluebell, you know it ain't me, all right? I'll never ask for gift cards, only ice cream. So be aware of those things. Staff will never email you for financial help. If they do, you better call me and let me, let me know. Sad thing about scams is scams are on the rise. This year, uh, to, uh, actually last year of 2022, uh, Scams rose by $2.6 billion to a record total of $8.8 billion in scams. People in one year lost $8.8 billion to scams. Scams are on the rise. Well, as that relates to where we are today, uh, there are some huge scams. This was one of the bigger ones that had hit our church. But if there was no resurrection, that is the biggest scam of all times. If what Jesus declared to be true, that he was the Messiah, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, that he was going to die for our sins and raise from the dead, if that did not happen, that is the biggest scam that has ever been placed on human beings. But we know that isn't a scam. We know it is the greatest truth that has ever impacted human history. How do we know? Here's the deal. When Jesus proclaimed that, uh, they very easily in one moment could have proved Christianity to be a lie. All they had to do, the Jews or the Romans, matter of fact, the Romans were warned that Jesus claimed he was going to rise three days later, so they sealed the tomb. They put guards around the tomb. The Jews did everything they could to prove that this was a scam, that that's what Christianity is, and all they had to do to silence the disciples and the preaching of the gospel is to produce a body. And if the Romans had it, all they had to do is say, hey, he was a false king. If the Jews had stolen the body uh, for some weird reason, all they had to do was produce the body and they could have proven Jesus to be the ultimate scammer of all history. But it was no scam. It is the greatest truth that has ever happened in human history. And so I want us to go through and I want us to go back and realize the importance of this resurrected Jesus. Matter of fact, it's been said that if the resurrection didn't happen, 
If it did not happen, nothing else matters. We're just living a lie. But if the resurrection did happen, let me say this, nothing else matters. That's all that matters is the fact that Jesus not only died for our sins, but he is living today, the sovereign God, on his throne. And so we want to continue to seek the one who lives, the one who is risen. Our theme verses that we've been praying over for over a month now is Psalm 85, 6, where the psalmist said, God, revive us. We need to be revived. Psalm 105, verse 4, another verse that we're praying over is this, and I hope you're praying this every day. Lord, I want to seek you and your strength. Lord, I want to seek your face continually. It's so easy to seek the hand of God, but not the face of God. It's so easy to pray and ask for God to do things for us, but it's a whole different experience to face-to-face just seek his person in his presence. That's what we're praying for. Matter of fact, uh, all this month we're continuing to pray, and I hope that you might even fast from time to time as God is opening our eyes to that spiritual discipline. At the end of this month, we'll be having a special guest speaker by the name of Bill Eliff. Uh, Those of you who know Bill or may not know Bill, his brother was the pastor at First Southern Dale City for a number of years, Tom Elliff. Tom also was the leader of our International Mission Board for a number of years. Bill's been a pastor in Little Rock, Arkansas, longtime pastor there, but is one of the greatest students of revivals in all of Christian history. He has been to the Asbury Revival. He has spoken there. He's studied revivals, and he will be with us on that day as we continue to seek God's face. I hope that you'll pray for that day and pray for all of this month as we are seeking God face to face. So let's carry on where we left off uh, last Sunday. Jesus has died, been buried in a tomb, and he's risen from the dead. We declared last week, he is risen, and you said is risen indeed. And after he rose from the dead, what was the last thing Jesus did on this planet? A lot of people want to immediately put him in heaven. No, he spent another 40 days, another 40 days on this planet. What was it that was so important that the Lord Jesus invested another 40 days on this planet? Well, let's take a look at it. Dig in with me. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the Apostle Paul gives us a clue. If I was to ask you what was the last thing Jesus did on this planet, some might say Calvary, he died on a cross. Others might say he rose from the dead. Wrong. And it's really kind of a trick question because I really hope that you might be able to say, well, last thing Jesus did on this planet was just last week. I saw God do this in my life. You see, God's still working. He's alive. He's living. Now, he may not be literally walking on this planet like he did over 2,000 years ago, but he is alive and he is still at work on this planet. But there were 40 days that Jesus did other things before he ascended to his throne. Take a look at verse 3. Paul said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. There's the Gospel. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. The gospel is death, burial, and resurrection. This was all done according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Most of whom remain until now but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all as to one untimely born... 
he appeared to me also. As we find Jesus resurrecting from the dead, before he would ascend to his throne, we find several accounts, as uh, Paul reminds us, several different times over those 40 days, Jesus appeared to different people. Why? Why did he do that? Well, we're going to see today that Jesus was delivering on his promise that he would never leave us and he would never forsake us. He's going to show up when the disciples were being torn down. I want you to understand the Lord Jesus will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. He will show up in your darkest moments, your darkest hours. He showed up to help his disciples with their doubts and with their lack of direction. Let's take a look at it. Go to verse 19 of John chapter 20 now. Go over to John's gospel, John chapter 20 and verse 19. John gives us this insight in verse 19. It says, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and he said to them, boo! No, that's not what he said. Wouldn't that have been cool? Whenever, and, and that's why the Lord didn't allow me to be Jesus. All right? I would have messed up all the disciples. I would have messed with their heads. I would, have, I would have said, guys, what in the world? You're hiding out like a bunch of little babies. You're all scared and concerned. I prophesied this would happen. I've demonstrated it happened. I gave you an empty tomb. You have all the proof in the world, and you still don't believe. Well, then, boo on you. But that's not what Jesus did. He didn't try to wake them up. He came to him, and look at what it says. It says, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his sides. Disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. The disciples had walked with Jesus every day for three and a half years. They had learned from the master teacher. They had seen with their own eyes, literally his face. They had seen his miraculous working power And just a few days later, they're already back to living in the land of doubt, the land of discouragement. What was the problem? The problem wasn't Jesus. The problem in what Jesus declared he would do, he did. The problem was the disciples were now distracted again. Take a look at it. Instead of seeking him and seeking his face and seeking his strength, we find them hiding behind locked doors seeking safety when they should have been seeking his face. They were seeking for answers, trying to figure out, God, why did this fall apart? Why did this great plan for you to be our Messiah all of a sudden get crucified on a cross? They're looking and seeking for answers when they should have been seeking his face. And maybe that's kind of where you are right now in your walk. We've just celebrated his resurrection, and yet today, if you were real honest, there's an issue of the heart. There's an issue of discouragement, an issue of doubt. I know God has said this. I know God says all things are possible with him, but I'm going to prove him wrong because I have this impossible thing in my life. Oh, really? Are you going to be the first person in human history to prove God to be a liar? Do you really think that you're going to be the first person to have something that's bigger than who he is? Oh, the enemy wants us to believe that. The enemy wants us to drown in our doubts when we should be seeking his face. The beautiful thing about this story, the very first thing Jesus did, as we look in on these 40 days, is he showed up when they didn't. He showed up when they were doubting. 
He came to them and he ministered to them when they were hurting. He ministered to their doubts and look at what he brought them. He didn't bring them a rebuke, although he had to address it. He did speak into it. More than that, look at what he said. He said, peace be with you. The enemy loves to kill, steal, and destroy. And one of the greatest things he tries to rob from us is our joy. And the way he does that is he gets us to doubt who God is because of what we see with these eyes. Those disciples had seen with these eyes, they had seen Jesus crucified. They had seen him buried and laid in a tomb. They had seen the reality of their dead Messiah. And as a result, it brought great doubt and they have lost their joy and their peace. And so Jesus comes to them in that moment. And before he ascended to his throne, he brings them his peace. There may be somebody here this morning, and you need the peace of God in your heart. There's something going on. There's a challenge in your life that is bigger than you. And you need the peace of God. Not only do you need the peace of God, but you need direction. Notice this. Take a look at verse 22. He's going to exchange their doubts with peace and with purpose. Look at verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He's going to give them direction in a moment. He's going to send them back on their mission. But before he does, he gives them peace and he gives them a power. The same power that would raise him from the dead, the resurrection power of God Almighty, Alive in him now is now alive in you if you know Christ. He gave them peace and he gave them a power. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. If you try to live this life in the natural realm, you'll get natural results. God didn't save you for some day to go to heaven. God saved you to redeem you, restore you, and give you abundant life today. And that life comes with peace and with his power. But here's the problem. We do what the disciples did. We start walking naturally again. We experience Christ, but then we walk naturally. We look with our natural eyes, we explain everything naturally, and we negate living a supernatural life. That leads to the land of doubts. The disciples were blinded by the natural realm. Their king was dead. He was buried in a tomb. They didn't know where his body was. Thomas, one of those disciples, had to also learn the lesson. Look at verse 24 now. Go to verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, he'd been called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came and appeared in that room. So the other disciples were saying to him, he shows back up. For some reason, he wasn't in the room in that moment. They all saw Jesus. They saw his face. And they were changed. Take a look at it. When he showed back up, the other disciples were saying to Thomas, We have seen the Lord. These guys that were drowning in their pity and in their doubts, all of a sudden were on fire again. Why? Because they had seen his face. They were revived. They experienced the answer to Psalm 85, 6. God has revived them. How did they become revived? By being in the presence of Jesus. How will you be revived? How will we be revived? 
by seeking his face. Not his hand, but his face. They experienced the Lord and they were transformed. They were revived. But Thomas was not. Why wasn't Thomas revived? Because he had not seen his face. Look at the rest of verse 25. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, I put my finger in the place of those nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas was blinded by what he was seeing and what he hadn't seen. He had seen Jesus crucified. He had not seen his resurrected king. And so he walked in unbelief. He just couldn't believe and maybe you're struggling today right now either because of something you're seeing maybe something that showed up on a doctor's report something you're seeing in another person's life or something you aren't seeing something you haven't seen a matter of fact maybe you've been praying about something for a long time and it's as if God doesn't care and God isn't even paying attention when I was a youth pastor starting here way back a long time ago uh, got to be a co-youth pastor with a guy by the name of Jason Gilbola. Some of you know that name. Jason was a crazy guy from my hometown of Enid. We grew up together. We got to begin ministry together right here at PCBC at the old building. And I remember the story of Jason's dad. I remember us many times praying for his dad, Billy Gilbo. You see, Jason was born into a home. His mother was a Christian. His dad was an alcoholic. His dad was the roommate of Barry Switzer at Arkansas University. They played football for the Razorbacks. Barry Switzer is one of the close family friends. And and, and, and as a result, if you know of Barry's upbringing, it was pretty wild. So was Billy's. Became an alcoholic at a young age and and was a very difficult dad to grow up under. So Jason just kind of hid out in his room most of his childhood. That's what allowed him to become so brilliant, so gifted at guitar, so brilliant at comedy because he created his own little fantasy world in the room he had to live in just to stay safe at home. And yet when he became a Christian, he started praying with his mother for his dad's salvation from the time he was a young man in junior high. Now, fast forward, we're youth pastors. We're leading kids to Christ and their dads to Christ, but his dad is still lost, probably 30 years later, 20 years later, as we would pray about it, I remember him one time really struggling, saying, man, why, I've prayed for all these years, why won't God save my daddy? Then I remember the day we were in the office and he got a call and his dad's liver had failed him and quit and he was almost comatose and the doctors called everybody in and said he's probably not going to survive. We Went rushing up to the hospital. Barry Switzer came in. That was a kind of a surreal moment. And all the people that were close to Billy came in to say goodbye. And something unusual happened. One of our church members, who was our college uh, director at the time, really took a, uh, a calling into Billy. And he went up every day and read scripture over Billy, even when he was comatose. And would just read every day the scriptures. Billy would come out of the coma and would be able to spend some time with Dr. Gilliland. And and over a period of days, maybe a week or so, Dr. Gilliland got to share Jesus Christ with Billy one more time. And in that moment, Billy Gilbo gave his life to Christ. It's been over 25 to 30 years of prayers. It's easy sometimes to think God's not paying attention. 
I'm not seeing any answers to my prayers. And we begin to doubt who God is in our life. The disciples doubted. Thomas doubted. You'll wrestle with doubt as well. How do we get victory? Take a look. Uh, Let's see what Thomas had to see. Verse 26 now. Go to verse 26. So after eight days, his disciples were again inside. This time Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut. He stood in their midst and he said again, boo, no. He brings the same message, the same need that they had, that Thomas had, was the same need they had eight days earlier. He said, peace be with you. You see, Thomas had no peace. He's wrestling on the inside. Doubt has robbed him of his peace with God. And Jesus brings it to Thomas. You would expect Jesus to bring a lecture, wouldn't you? I mean, how patient do you have to be with these disciples? How long will it be before they finally believe? I mean, Jesus has given them three and a half years. Jesus has appeared to Mary Magdalene, to Peter, to John, to others on the road to Emmaus, to over 500. There have been these appearances he has He's made it known, and there's an empty tomb, and yet Thomas still doesn't believe. You'd expect Jesus to be done with it. You would expect Jesus, because that's what Satan tells us. How do I know? Because that's what he says to me. I know you've heard that voice. The enemy saying to you, you just don't believe strong enough. You just don't have enough faith. Look at you, always doubting God. No wonder God doesn't work in your life. You heard that voice before? I'm sure Thomas was wrestling with it. I'm sure he's struggling saying, man, why did they get to see Jesus but I don't? Why can they believe but I can't? You been there? There are days that we struggle with our faith. And that doesn't mean you aren't a person of faith. That means you are a person of faith, typically. Because the enemy couldn't try to steal something if you don't have it. Take a look at this. And then he said to Thomas, hey, Thomas, come here. Reach here. What he didn't say, I would have expected him to say. I would have expected him to pop in the room. Ta-da! Thomas going, oh, you know, having one of those uh, moments like Fred G. Sanford, you know, going to see Elizabeth in heaven someday, right? And here he is freaking out. And I can hear Jesus say to him, get behind me, Satan. Anybody need to hear those words? It wasn't just Peter. It was Thomas who'd been denying the resurrection of Jesus. He denied the Lord. He didn't get those words. He got these words. You see, God not only brings his peace, but he brings his heart of compassion. He says, here, touch. I'm going to give you what you need in this moment. Here, look at my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. And in that moment, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas experiences revival. One who was doubting is no longer doubting Thomas. He's now proclaiming, my Lord, my God. He's been revived. Well, maybe you have gotten to a place like Thomas. Maybe you've come to a point because of what you've seen or what you haven't seen, that you're struggling to declare 
I need you to be my God in this situation. I need you to be my God today. Instead of seeking his hand, we need to go back to seeking his face. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, if Jesus would pop in my room, if he would bust in on me and let me touch his scars, let me see literally those scars, then I would believe, really, you think so? You think that seeing is believing? They had seen Jesus for three and a half years every day. They had seen the empty tomb. They still didn't believe. What if I told you that I have appeared on one of the covers of Sports Illustrated? Would you believe me? <laughs> okay, you don't believe? Take a look. Right there. I don't know if you got a copy of that one. Cover of Sports Illustrated. Heisman Trophy winner. Do you believe? No, just because you see it doesn't mean it is. Go ahead and lose the picture. They've seen enough. I could pop up all kinds of pictures. I could convince you I've done this, I've been that. I've done, just because you see it doesn't mean you're going to believe it. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming again. Did you know that? That he will literally rule and reign on this earth a thousand years. People will see him return from glory a second time. He will live literally again and walk on this planet. And guess what happens at the end of the thousand years? The Bible says that after Satan has been bound up and all that, that there will be those who have to give an account who still don't believe, who are still living through that time, who saw him with their own eyes and still didn't believe. So don't tell me if I could just see Jesus, I'd believe. No, belief is a gift from God. Faith is a gift that God gives us. And I want you to see something powerful. Look at verse 29. John chapter 20 and verse 29. Jesus said to him, Because you've seen me, now you believe? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Blessed are those who don't see with these eyes, but believe with these eyes. Don't let the enemy say, well, how can you believe in a Jesus you've never seen? Oh, I've seen Jesus. I may not have seen him with my physical eyes, but I've seen Jesus alive in this dead man's life. I've seen Jesus bring life to me when I was empty and had no purpose and no direction. I've seen Jesus work miracles in my family. I've seen Jesus work miracles in this world. And I've seen Jesus at work in your life as well. Jesus is risen. I'm sorry, Lord. Here's the deal. If we're not careful, there can be days we walk by faith. And then there can be days we walk by sight. There are days that, man, we are alive and, man, we believe God for anything and everything. And then there are days when we see things or we don't see answers to our prayers and we wake up like Thomas or the other disciples and say, man, I just can't believe right now. How does that happen? How do we get there? Well, Thomas got there. You don't have to turn, but if you go back earlier in John's gospel, he talks about Thomas early in his faith in John chapter 11 in verse 16 it says this about Thomas it says there was this guy named Thomas who was also called Didymus who said to his fellow disciples let us also go so that we may die with him holy cow we don't hear a lot of stuff about Thomas in scripture all of us know about doubting Thomas 
But did you know about that verse? Did you know about bold Thomas? Did you know about Thomas who inspired the rest of the disciples to get serious and radical about their faith? Have you heard about the Thomas who said, God, I'm willing to die for you? Oh, Peter said that too. Both thought they would die for Jesus. Both doubted Jesus. So will you. And where did Thomas lose it? Where did Peter lose it? It's when they quit seeking his face. And they started seeing with their eyes. One last passage and we're done. I'm going to let you go. 1 Peter chapter 1. Find it. 1 Peter chapter 1. It's in the back of your New Testament. Peter also said he'd be willing to die for him. And then he denied him three times that brutal night that Jesus was betrayed with a kiss. And betrayed by his best friend, Peter. But God also came back to Peter, restored Peter as he said he would. Used Peter to preach the very first sermon at Pentecost. Now he gives Peter the privilege of writing this epistle to encourage not only the people of that day, but all of us this day. Look at it, verse 8. It says, and though you have not seen him, you love him. Peter's talking to an audience and he could have said, God bless you. He could have said, I've seen him. I saw him when he walked on this earth. And I literally saw him when he resurrected from the dead. Now, you haven't had that opportunity, but look at what he said. And even though you haven't seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, you can greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You don't have to see with your physical eyes. You do need to see with your heart. Therefore, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection, 40 days on this earth. The first thing he did was address the doubts and the direction of his disciples. He gave them peace, and he gave them power, and then he reminded them of, his pur- of the purpose. And after he gave them the Holy Spirit, he said, so now go. Go into all the earth. Let's not just celebrate a risen Savior of last Sunday. But let us walk by faith, not by sight, every day in his peace, filled with his power, living on purpose. 